Hello and welcome to Seafood Matters podcast, the voice of the UK seafood industry. I'm your host Jim Cowie. In this episode I am joined by chef and author Ian McAndrew. In his day, Ian was the youngest UK chef to be awarded the Michelin star. Ian's best-selling series of seafood cookbooks includes A Feast of Fish 1 and A Feast of Fish 2, which are, in my opinion, the best seafood cookbooks ever written. Um, Being a chef... For I think it's something like fifty-four years, something like that. Um, worked all over the world. I have recently retired from my hotel in Scotland, uh, which was uh, down in Dumfrieshire, where I was for fourteen years. Um, prior to that, I've worked in places like the Dorchester. I've worked with Anton Mosman. I've worked. Um, in the Carlton Tower, I've worked. I've worked all over London. Um, I've worked all around the world, um, and then I opened my first restaurant in Canterbury. I think that was in 1983, having just done my first head chef's job at Eastwell Manor in Ashford in Kent, which was a an old building but a new hotel opening, um, and I got my first Michelin star there. Um, allegedly the youngest Englishman to have done so at the time. I say allegedly because I can't actually prove that at the moment and, of course, been beaten on that subject by many people since then. Um, Moved on to our own restaurant, Restaurant 74 in Canterbury, from there in 1983, um, when I then was asked to write a book on fish, uh, which was, I think it was published in 1987, book called A Feast of Fish. I then subsequently wrote another book in 1990 about poultry and game, and then a third book again on fish, and again called Feast of Fish, but this time A Feast of Fish 2, which came out um, in 2000, 2001. So I've got a, a bit of a track record of being a, a fish cook, um, and uh, I think that's why I'm sitting here in front of you now. That's amazing. That's an amazing past, an amazing uh, uh, career, Ian. You must feel proud of it. I, I often think uh, with with your dishes and checking, looking at your past, and and that, I would class you in the most positive way. You're a very classic trained. I would class you as a classic, you know. You're absolutely. I mean, that's good. That's that's from my background, you know, working at places like the Dorchester, having been brought, having gone to college, formal chef's training in the late sixties, early seventies. That's what food was then, wasn't it? You know, it was classic, classic food, um, classic dishes, and it wasn't until probably mid seventies that food started to change really and and became a bit more expressive and a bit more individual. Um, and it, and that was that at the time I think was due to a lot of people like like Mosman at the Dorchester coming in and showing us new things over here, 
Um, and it was that influence that I then took forward into my own own restaurants um, and and was able to express myself better than one could with the Soul Veronique or whatever it might have been back then. Who did you say you were with in the, in the Dorchester? Anton Muslim. I've met Anton. I've met him personally, and what a as well as a wonderful chef. What a great guy! Oh, he's a lovely fella. Absolutely, the 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 uh, a gentleman. Gentlemen are gentlemen. That's for sure. Yeah, it must be fantastic to have worked under them. You couldn't help but uh, learn. I wouldn't have thought. Oh, absolutely, and 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 uh, not only that, but I mean the. Uh, when I worked, when I went to the Dorchester, there were 150 chefs in the kitchen. That was a big brigade. There weren't many of the, there weren't many brigades of that sort of size anywhere in the world. Never mind, never mind in this country, you know. Um, however, when I left, there was only 40. That was, uh, you know, that was that that was, I suppose that was a change of everything, wasn't it? You know, um, where. A few years later, Margaret Thatcher was um, trimming down the mining industry, and and now the government's trying to trim down the real industry. Well, Anna Mosman was heading up trimming down the chef industry, if you like, really, going from a, a massive brigade of one hundred and fifty down to forty in in a space of four in a space of two years. I suppose when you look at the you know the breakdown of chefs when the Demi and Sue and Gun, you know, from the bottom going right up. That would have been so important in a brigade of a hundred and fifty. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it, it, the kitchens then were very formally set out, so we had um, we had all the sections. You had the veg, you had the soup, you know, you had the rotisserie. Um, you had the grill, uh, you had a saucier, you had a gourmandier, um, pâtissier. I ran the larder section. There were 32 of us in the larder. Now, the larder consisted of a fishmonger, well, two fishmongers, a butchery, there were three butchers, um, an hors I think that was a team of six, so they did all the starters. Um, we had a, a guy... Tony Chodorowsky, he uh, he was our sandwich maker, and that's all he did sandwiches. So you, they would do hundreds and hundreds of afternoon teas every day, you know, and, and that's what he did. He made sandwiches. Uh, we had the fruit the fruit man who he, his job was to open oysters and make fruit baskets for the rooms, and that was a eight to nine hour a day job. And so you had all those you had all those sections within a within a kitchen which just don't exist at all anymore. But and as uh, I said, uh, sorry. No, you carry on. Sorry. Yeah. And, and 30, 32 chefs in the larder was just blimey, me, that was unheard of. That was bigger than most kitchens. And at the time, I was only well, what would I have been then? 24, 23. Um, and I was senior chef to party in the larder at the time. But I mean, the lake of the Dorchester would—it's just an institution. I mean, it'd be an amazing place to work. It was, it was, and I've still got friends from the from there now, you know. Um, and there was some great chefs went through the, that place at the time. Incredible, incredible people, and many that you'd know. I mean, people like Alan Hill, for instance. He—he oh, yeah. uh, he was my commie, or one of my commies. Oh, no. 
Is that yep. right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. brilliant. Yeah. So, no, yeah. going on, going on from there. Uh, you must have been in your restaurant in Canterbury when you wrote your book. I was. Yes, fit. we. I was. We 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 set up Restaurant Seventy Four, which was set up from scratch because it was a furniture kitchen furniture showroom when we took the building on. Uh, that was. Um, November eight, November eighty three. We took that on. We opened just before the Christmas nineteen eighty three, and I wrote my book in. Well, that was published in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, and uh, it's the background. Your background. I mean, fish. It's very much a fish seafood uh, book, cookbook, and it's obviously your background because going. From the from the your career, the way you mentioned going through the the Dorchester, going through the different places in Canterbury, there's nothing seaside in any of that. So where did the where did this is that your family home roots? Was it? Not really. No, no, not at all. I mean, I'm from a seaside town actually, um, in County Durham, a place called Seam. So the same harbour in actual fact. So, you know, we're, we're, we're a coastal town. But no, not really. Um, I was, it's a strange thing, but I was, uh, a couple of ladies came down to see me in the restaurant one day and said, um, we are from um, McDonald Publishing in London. We're down here for lunch, but the real reason we've come down is we want to ask you if you want to, if you would like to write a book. I said, well, Blow me. <laughs> I never thought of doing that. <laughs> but what a good idea. <laughs> um, and that's how it came about, really. And I said, well, have you got any any ideas on what the book should be about? And they said, well, yeah, we need somebody to write a good fish book. And I said, well, why have you come to me? And she said, well, you were recommended to us as, uh, as being a, a great restaurant and serving great fish. I said, who by? And I'd never met the man before. I, I don't think I'd met the man before, but it was uh, Clement Freud, apparently, had recommended me, basically. I don't know why. I don't ever remember him coming to my restaurant, but that's that apparently is how it happened. So um, we talked it through, and I mean, you know yourself, chefs have a have a, have a passion for fish, don't they? You know, it's, it's, it's so much more, it's so much more interesting to work with than meat. Uh, you've got, a few four or five basic meats and then uh, after that you haven't got a lot really when I, when i'm saying meat here i'm talking about probably four-legged four-legged animals rather than two-legged ones but um when it comes to fish how diverse can you be it's just phenomenal isn't it? the 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 scope that that cooking with fish leaves you so and when they asked me, when they said, well, look, we need it, the, the market needs a good fish book, I couldn't disagree with them because there was very little out there at the time. Um, and in those days, not many people wrote books. Chefs didn't write books anyway. They're very, very few and far between. Um, not unlike today when everybody seems to write one. Um, sorry, that wasn't a digging anyway. The... the um, I, like anybody, like any other chef, was looking around and trying to find sources of inspiration. Um, 
and could never find one. So yeah, I thought, well, I, actually, I think a fish book is needed. Um, I didn't know that I was a person to need to, to to write it for the for the market, but there you go. I did I did think one was needed. Well, obviously, Clement Floyd got it right <laughs> be, because I have to say before I go any further, Ian, I'm in my seventies now. My father was a fisherman, so I'm from a fishing family. I've been in the industry pretty much, apart from the odd day interval. I could say I've been in the fishing industry well on 50 years, probably 60, if you counted when I was in school and down the harbours on fishing boats and everything. And uh, in the actual fit, Run, no, no, I'm not going to start going on about myself, but I've been in all aspects of the fishing industry. And although I've, the last 20 years I've had the restaurant Captain's Galley, I still class myself in the fishing industry because our, our it's a seafood restaurant and our menu is 100% seafood. We don't have options or unless somebody particularly requests something it's a seafood restaurant so i still class it in the fishing industry and honestly i have never come across a better book on fish in all that time and i think it and the funny thing not funny the clever thing about it even taking it to the species landed today the, your book hasn't dated. The dishes, the dishes, you can change the species. And and uh, I I I bought it at the time when it was out. So that and that was before I even opened the restaurant. So I just can't speak. I still think it's the best fish, seafood, whichever way you look, cookbook ever written. That's very That's kind, Jim. Very kind. And you know when when I when the early days of the captain's galley, my nephew Lindsay, who we often have a joke about it, eh, when we when we opened the, the restaurant opened in two thousand and two, so the book was in the go a wee bit by then, and Lindsay was working with us for a few years. He's done really well in his career. He's now head chef and. Carnegie Club and Skibo Castle, eh, going to greater things. And eh, but he was it, we he was a couple of years with me when we opened at first. A massive help he was to me. And we used to we used to have a joke eh, looking at the menu, saying, "I hope <laughs> I hope Ian McCandra never comes north on holiday." <laughs> Because he's going to see so many of his dishes on our menu. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good job you don't have to pay royalties in the neck, yes, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the case. I, I mind you, I remember once being told by a well-known chef, Nick Nairn. He says, "Change." He was he was in a restaurant. And he and he said, change three components, and add the, and, our, and take a recipe, change three component and the components, and it's your own. <laughs> you 
Yeah, probably about right then, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it is, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't want to uh, catch you out on anything, but I mean, I remember your your roast cod, can you remember your roast cod dish with the wilted rocket, new potatoes, the uh, chorizos, and a balsamic Jew. I mean, that's a fun, that was a absolutely brilliant dish. That isn't still not uh, dated, Ian. There's so many species. You know, even cod, which is a fantastic fish, but that dish can be, you can change the species. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's there's no doubt about it, and 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 that works for so many dishes as well. You know, um, even even from crustacean to a, to a fish, you can swap them from a fish to a meat. You can swap them. You can you can do so much so much with them. It just, it, you might have to do the what you said, change one or two of the ingredients, but not many, and it'll still work for sure. What do you when Macandra gets involved in a with a fish? What what do you how how do you think? What do you what what how does you how do you tick when you're looking at the fish? What makes you feel and think about what that dish should be accompanied with? Or? I suppose there's so many things go into that uh, time of year. What the weather's doing, um, what the actual fish is, what I've got in my fridge, uh, how I feel. <laughs> There's a, there are so many, so many, so many factors go into that one. Um, I, that's such a difficult question to answer as well. Certainly, time of year has a lot to do with it. What's on the market? What's available? What's in the garden? What's in the shop? Um, and how you feel yourself, you know that that's a really difficult question, Jim. <laughs> the the there's there's so much fish that goes with so many other things as well. Um, I think I think you've actually hit a good point there. And uh, let let's just rather than think we're in the Dorchester or the Captain's Galley or anywhere, just let's say we're sitting at home. And I think that's a really good point you raised, and and, and a very relevant one, Ian. That uh, is how you feel. Absolutely. If everybody tells you, you 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 need to cook from your heart, and the best food always comes from your heart, doesn't it? Rather than from your head. Um, and so, yeah, how you feel is 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 so important. Yeah. Yeah, and also seasons. I think seasons is the most important. I often make the comment: seasonality is the key to sustainability. Absolutely, no doubt about that at all. If we eat everything in season, we're a lot healthier, and the fish stocks are a lot healthier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Undoubtedly. So, so, but you would probably go by the texture. Yes, from I'm just trying to think what I've what I've what have I eaten recently? Um, 
you very kindly sent me some fish down recently that uh, you sent me some blue ling. Now, ling, I love ling. I think it's a lovely fish, um, but very underused and very difficult to get hold of as well because nobody knows what it is, I suppose. Um, but that's quite a firm, quite a meaty fish. Goes, depending on the time of the time of year we're at, the other day I wrapped it in um, smoked pancetta, roasted that. Um, I served it. What did I serve it with? I said, didn't I do that on a on a risotto, a, a bacon and um, fresh pea risotto with fresh herbs in? Again, the time of the year, the peas were just. I I just gotten a a, a, a batch of fresh peas. Um, with some and fresh basil because I had a pot of that on the windowsill, which was great. Um, that worked really, really well. Last night I just had some smoked haddock and a, with a bit of pasta and some chives and some courgettes. Again, they're all in season, um, but just worked so well. You know, it it it's it is. It's what's a lot of it is what's at hand, and a lot of it is, as you say, the type of fish, the texture it is, and what you can actually what you can actually achieve with it. So a bit of flaky smoked haddock through a pasta is fabulous, but a nice solid piece of ling wrapped in bacon was just as, just as good. I used to, um, just before we stopped at Restaurant 74, one of my favourite dishes with ling, now we're talking about that, was to serve it with a, um, a braised beef. And it was a rich, rich beef ragu, really rich beef ragu. I used to um, roast a piece of ling and sit that on top of the, the beef and and a, and a potato cake over a very thin, crisp, um, like potato rusty type thing across the top of it. And it just went so well. That that the meatiness of that of that ling was complemented by the beefs just so well. And that's 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 something that possibly a lot of people don't do, and possibly you wouldn't do at your own place, is serve a combination of meat and fish like that, you know? That's one of the things I was going to come to, because it seems to be something you master the art of, and uh, which I think is, no, although we're, I'm talking about being seafood, I think it's brilliant, because I often make the point uh, with people that, there's you can do i've seen i've seen me regularly in doing trios of you know of different species of fish on the yep. same dish yep. but you've taken to me you've taken it a degree further again actually pairing fish and meat i think that's fantastic Surf and turf has been around for for a long time, but that's not a not a, a term I like, and it's and it's particularly associated with a bit of steak and 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 a, and a half a lobster or something like that. But it it can be so much more expansive than that. And there are so many monkfish is another one, you know, another nice firm fish. Um, the 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 grenadier that you send down for me as well is a good, fairly robust, meaty fish as well, isn't it? You know that anything that's got that sort of firm texture to it. It's got a good, um, I was going to say strong flavour, but strong, if you say strong and fish together, then it tends to put people off, doesn't it? It's probably the wrong word I'm using there. Um, but it, it it can pair so well with so many things. You know, there's a lot of people these days pair um, scallops with pork 
uh, when I say pork, I mean uh, uh, pork cheek or braised pork belly or something like that, where I paired fish with bacon and in, in, in so many other ways. But scallops and lamb is another dish that I used to do where I'd saute a, a cannon of lamb and then make a scallop mousse, which I would serve with it from the from the rows and then I would I would use the white meat of the scallop and uh, just very very lightly pan fry those and 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 serve that with the lamb and that's just a fabulous dish I used to make a, a chicken and lobster or a chicken and crab sausage which again possibly not something one would one would think about but it works so so well as a starter yeah I quite often make a pork and prawn spring roll suppose so I suppose <laughs> Yeah. I'm nipping into it as well. <laughs> there you go, you see. <laughs> see, with your going back to your classic training uh, and uh, as, and practicing as a chef, how important would you say making good stocks as to the in every aspect of cooking. You've got to have those good bases, a good base to build from, and to make any sort of sauce at all, you've got to have a good base to build from, and that stock is just so important. It's amazing though how few chefs these days actually make fish stock. Now it may be that um, because times have changed so much, the chefs aren't buying the whole fish in and therefore aren't getting the bones with which to make the stock. However, that shouldn't work that way for the better places, but I'm sure it works that way for a lot of places. And fish bones can be can be quite difficult to get hold of. Um, but and 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 as a result, people end up end up using chicken stock. But that's a, in a lot of ways that's a travesty. You know, if we're going to. I've always had this philosophy that if, if something's had to die for you to eat it, use it all. Don't leave yeah, it that's a good behind. Pro- that's a good principle. Yeah. And it, <laughs> so many chefs have annoyed me over the years where my where they've 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 ruined a good piece of produce. Um and they'll always hear this from me. That poor thing had to die for you to do that to it. <laughs> That's a great principle to follow. Yeah, always. <laughs> Very ethical. No, that's 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 really it. I must remember that. I'll certainly be. I'll certainly use that one. <laughs> Which is true, but I know I often look at your dishes and think how oh, uh, you've. What where does where does that come from? Does it how do you how do you get there with the the combining the meat and and the fit? because as you say the dishes here, I can just immediately think oh that would work that would work. I've I've I often I I don't there's two ways I've I've pretty much gotten most of my ideas from is I I would always go to the market. On a regular basis, um, both uh, both for, for the likes of fish, but also for the likes of fruit and veg, I've got a. I, I always made good friends with local growers, market gardeners, um, so I was always 
I was always out there in the fields picking something, especially in my younger days. Um, and that's where much of the much of the inspiration came from. When you when you're just picking a beautiful courgette with a flower on the end of it, you they're just picking a lovely tight head of calabrese. Um, you've gone into a grower's hothouse and he's got basil everywhere with leaves the size of tobacco leaves and it's just incredible stuff. And you've just got to do something with it. You just and that's what sets the imagination going. That's what sets the mind going. And then you go along to the fishmonger, you go down to the fish market and you see whatever it might be, you know, just, just something that jumps out at you that looks so fresh and so clean and so healthy. And the, and the other thing I do is I stand in my fridge. I, I don't have one now like that, of course, but I always used to have a walk-in fridge. Um, and I would just go in the fridge and I would stand in the fridge and see what was in there. If I was if I was devoid of ideas for, for for whatever it might be, and it's amazing how just looking at the produce that's in there and, and and thinking about it for just a few minutes, how something comes along. And even now, I just stand in my fridge door as I can't walk into it anymore. It's not that big, and just look in. What am I going to do tonight? You know, um, and that's where that that's that's always the way I've been. I've thought about it, and I've never planned very far in ahead of what I'm going to what I'm going to do or what I'm going to do with something. Yeah, but I think you have to be to be honest and say you, the, the, the ordinary man in the street doesn't just look in his fridge and or, or the market and come up with a stunning, brilliant dish. That's, that's after going through what you've gone through, that you have the knowledge and experience behind that decision oh absolutely you know that's what i am i'm a chef at the end of the day and i've and i've been doing this for a long long time <laughs> i started i started as a chef in 1963 so work that one out yeah that's brilliant you know it's been it's it's been a long journey so it's um yeah there's there's a bit of experience there to draw from yeah, yeah, it, it, it's always the case in any in any uh, profession. Anybody getting to the stage when they can just uh, pick a couple of things up and come up with some something spectacular. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's coming from a knowledge base that goes back with a lot of experience. And it, it's and it's not only that; it's working with great people as well, isn't it? You know, it's having people around you, people to learn from, um, and people that it, it's both both things actually. It's people that you learn from and people that you teach. Because if you've got somebody that's willing to learn, you actually learn a lot yourself. And I've yeah. always found that you know, if if you've got a if you've got a willing pupil, you'll learn as much as they learn. You know, one of the disappointing points that you made there which I, I hear it obviously plenty but still disappoints me when I, I, I'm obviously based in Scrabster and got lots of fishermen friends and I'm always about the harbour when they're landing and for me you could say I'm, I'm seeing both sides and for me to see how many blue ling, the species you mentioned, ling, white ling, blue ling, are being landed 
and then hear you, Ian, saying how it's so difficult and you can't get a hold of it. I think that there's there's a mismatch somewhere. We need to, or I don't know whether it is our agencies that need to to talk it up or get it, or our the industry itself that needs to get marketing their product better. But that that is disappointing when you know, especially these days when. Things are quite difficult, very difficult for fishermen, and they're certainly looking for a local market. Whereas that species that we've been briefly mentioned there, blue ling, grenadier, and things like that, that is all going to the continent. Not because they want to put them to the continent. There's no local market, and yet there's people would like to buy them and can't. Are they going? Are they going to the continent, or are they going into manufacturing? I mean, when I say are they going to the continent, are they going to the continent for the housewife, for the restaurant to go on the plate, yeah, or are yeah. they going into manufacturing where they're making fish cakes or fish fingers or whatever it might be from that? No, not at all. No, no, no. they're sold as what for what they are. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's yeah. odd, isn't it? We're we are an island country, and. I don't know what our fish consumption is in this country, but I, it can't be very high. Outside of the outside of the fish shops, it cannot be. It cannot be more than I wouldn't have thought it was more than thirty percent of the population are eating fish at any one time, if, even if it's that high. And I'm only guessing there. Um, and I've never understood that. It is really bizarre. I remember years and years ago uh, when we were in Kent because my my, my first restaurant it was in Canterbury and uh, my first head chef's job was in Ashford. Um, so I used to use a local market down at uh, Folkestone. Um, and then I used to go down to Rye a fair bit. Now, Rye was, well, it was a good journey. It was, it was over a two-hour round-trip journey. But they did scallops down there. They, they fish scallops, good scalloping, good scalloping grounds down there. And... It, it, um, folks, and I don't ever remember seeing very many in folks. But I remember going down the first time I went down to Rye, I walked along the quayside, and there must have been 60 bags of scallops. When I say bags, I mean uh, there must have been 10 dozen or so in a bag, I would guess. There were, there were big bags. Um, just lined up on the quayside, and I went up to one of the guys and I said, I'd like to buy one of those. He said, You can't, they're all sold. I said, Well, you know, come on. No, they're all I said, well, who's bought them? France. They're all going to France. And not one of them stayed in this country. Not one. And he just wouldn't sell them to me. He wouldn't sell me one. And it took, I don't know, half a dozen times or so me going down there and becoming a bit more of a regular face down there before I was able to buy anything like that off them. But it was all going to France. So it it, it is sinful that, that this happens. And... You know, when I was a boy, as I say, I grew up in a seaside town, and it's a small harbour port. Um, uh, coal was shipped out of there, but there were a few fishing boats went out of there, and and you used to buy, we used to be able to buy fish off the railings, as we called them, and all that was was a handrail up the side, up the steps from the docks up to the top of the cliffs, and the fishermen used to hang their fish over the railings on bits of string, and you would buy from the railings. 
It was bizarre. Um, no fridges or ice or anything like that. You know, that didn't exist in those days. And I remember, you know, you, you'd buy crabs off them. Um, you'd buy haddock or cod or whatever, whatever was, whatever was the catch that, that the, and there was, these were only day boats. These are, these are just little fishing boats in and out of a tiny little harbor, you know, and that, and again, I'm going back to when I was, I believe me, 40, 50 years ago, possibly longer than that even. But now that doesn't exist at all. And, you know, there's no, I don't think there's even a fishing boat goes out of there now. And there's no, there's nobody down there that sells fish. There used to be wet fish shops everywhere, didn't there? You just don't see them anymore. It is really, really sad. And I don't know how, how one goes about changing that, but a change it needs to be. That has been the supermarkets, unfortunately, have just done away with the, the local fishmongers. It's yeah, it's interesting you say that about supermarkets, actually, Jim. Because there's a there's a, there's a supermarket which I won't name, but it's not one I go into very often. Um, and they set up a, their fish counters, and their advertising was that they were they, they were selling fish from their own boats. So you probably know the supermarket, I mean, but it was rubbish. And when I say rubbish. What I mean is, it was old, sunken eyes, dry skin, small fish, small fish, nothing of any size at all. Um, it was really, really, really poor. And I've never bought anything from them fish-wise, then or, or since. Um, and I just don't know, I don't know how they get away with selling what they sell and call it and call it good fish and call it their own as well yeah no i don't know it's uh, the it's, sometimes you think the world's going crazy because we have situations we find now uh, like uh, just now the boats our boats have been fishing at rockall and getting that now the haddock at this time of the year in Rockall, it's absolutely bang in season and it's good, f- firm, round, well-rounded, you know, good yield, good tasting, great flavour from a Rockall haddock. And now the MSC has deemed it unsustainable, the Rockall haddock. So uh, they've stopped. They've, uh, so they've, the MSC have said it's... it's uh, it's not sustainable. So now the processors, they've had to stop. They have to stop buying it because the supermarkets won't buy it from them. Now we're at the so we're at the stage now where the MSC says stop. They've they're controlling it. They 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 might control the fishery, not our government any longer. So. They've, they've banned the sale, they're catching it. So the boats can't go to Rockall because they haven't got a market for, for, for the haddock. And yet you get the supermarkets, Tesco's, for example, they've closed every wet fish counter in the country. And, and you, look, you look at the packs of fish the packaged fish in their counter 
and it'll be either Icelandic cod or Norwegian haddock or cod. And I, I just ask myself, well, where's the sense in that? Because there's MSC are saying stop catching it. But why? Because the supermarkets are not selling. The, the supermarkets, as I said, they're closed their wet fish counters. They're not selling it packaged. So where is it all? It's, it's just no sense whatsoever. And it's nothing to do, nothing to do with conservation, Ian. There's a, where we live now, um, I'm in the northeast of England in County Durham, and we are not far from a very, very, very big Tesco's, and it's enormous. And they've got a big fish counter. And as far as I'm aware, it's open two, possibly three days a week. The rest of the time, it's closed. And yes, you're right, the rest of the fish, mind you, I was going to say, the rest of the fish that's, on, that's there is all pre-packaged. Um, it's all um, out of this country. It's, it's predominantly Norwegian, as you say. Um, but even when their fish counter is open, the quality they're putting on is not good enough. It's old fish. It's not freshly caught fish. They are doing something drastically wrong. We go, I buy my fish um, at the Quayside at um, North Shales. Um, and the array of fresh fish is phenomenal. It is absolutely beautiful. And the people are queuing out of the door. And there's a lot of fish goes through there, lots and lots and lots. And it's fabulous stuff. It's as fresh as the day it was caught. And it is really, why, if that can be done there, can't it be done elsewhere? What's your theories on uh, when you have it? Would you keep it a while or is it, uh, are you of the mind, the fresher you eat it, the better? I think on, I, I, I prefer to eat it straight away. I can't because um, it's a long way from where we live. Um, so we can only go periodically. So what I do is I'll buy, there's only two of us, I buy 80, 90 pounds worth of fish and I bring it home, I portion it, I vacuum it, I freeze it. And then I pull mm -hmm. it out, the portions I need as and when I need them. Um, so I've, I've always got a fish full of freezer, a uh, freezer full of fish, sorry, um, until it's getting to the time now I need to get back up to North Shields and, uh, and buy some fresh fish again. My rule of thumb on that one, Ian, is I have absolutely no problem freezing fresh fish that I know the history of. Absolutely I never, right. Where I would never buy frozen fish. <laughs> absolutely right. Absolutely right. If I, know, if I know how fresh that fish is, absolutely great to put it in the freezer. Do it the day you bought it, doesn't doesn't have a problem. No issues with it whatsoever. Go to a supermarket and buy a piece of fish and then freeze it. No, thank you. Buy a piece of frozen fish from anybody. No, thank you. I, I, it was quite. A, I've I've seen. I'll tell you. I'll tell you two stories here. I'll tell you a story about rye when I went down to see the, as I said about buying scallops down there, and I got to know one of the scallop fishermen quite well, and he showed me something which really quite amazed me um 
he took me into the sheds. They were, they were shucking scallops and they were soaking them. And I forget the time frame now because I've gone back 40 years now and I can't quite remember. My memory isn't that good. But it was something like 20 hours. If you soak a scallop in, in water for X amount of time, it soaks all that water in and it will double its size. And then leave it half an hour too long and start spitting the water out again. So they get them to the optimum size and then they blast freeze them. And then they glaze them. Not once, but twice or thrice. And so here this little queenie scallop, <laughs> which is started off at about the size of a, I don't know, 10p piece if you're lucky, suddenly is a 50p piece. And then it's glazed four times, so it's now enormous. <laughs> and then folks take them home, defrost them, put them in the pan, and all of a sudden they've got little queen scallops on there. They're so small, it's unbelievable. And, that, that you know, I, I just could not believe that that happened. So there's, there's one reason why you don't buy frozen fish. But I also used to do some consultancy for a firm in Holland, and uh, I was taken to a fish processing factory there where they were, they were bringing fresh fish in. A lot of it was place. The Dutch love place. Um, and it was being processed through this factory where it was being mechanically filleted and went through this freezing process, and it went through a freezer, which was probably the size of an average three-bedroom house, height and width wise depth wasn't quite that deep but it was still still big went in came out the other end as frozen slabs of individual frozen bits of fillet of whatever the fish may be it was place that was going through when i was there and again it came out twice the size of what it went in at just sinful i don't know you've got to, i know you've got to preserve stuff but it's just sinful <laughs> You know, I'll give you a, a story to match that one on the scallops. I remember a fishing scallop boat was asking me one time where I suggest he could send his scallops. So I put him in touch with his processor. I said, he's a fair guy. He'll look after you. So he, he sent it and he came on the phone to me the next morning saying, what do you think you're doing? You're, you've, that's a, he's a rob, he's cheated me. I says, never, John. I says, what's, how's he cheated you? And he says, well, he's just told me the price per, per kilo of scallops. And it's, it's a way, way low. If it was, I think it was maybe four or five pound a kilo they were getting at the time. He was down about three or three fifty, so he says, "Oh, I'm not happy. I'm not happy at all." And I says, "Well, did you get the full pack out yet?" And he says, "No, no. He just told me the price per kilo." I says, "Well, leave it until you have the full tally back, and then decide if you were cheated or not." So a few days later, he phoned me back and he said, "Sorry, Jim." I got it wrong. He says, it was, it was fantastic. He said, the price per kilo was lower. He says, but the weight he got back was 
double what he would normally get because what the guy actually did is exactly what you were saying. He steeped them overnight in water, then froze them and glazed them, and he actually gave the boat the the pack out weight. Oh well, that was that was that. At least that was honest of him. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, I knew he would. I said to the guy, "That's what I said. Start. He'll be, he'll not cheat you. He's an honest yeah. guy." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seventeen hours he was steeping them for, right. and. Yep. Yeah. Well, and the unfortunate thing, as you will, as you will have noticed as well, not you, 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 you thaw them out. Not only are you left with a small scallop again, but as the uh, not only does the water that they've sucked in, I mean, they're like a sponge. Yeah, they just yep. they just suck water in, but when they're thawed out. It's not just the water that comes out, but all the natural goodness and yeah, the, you know yeah. their natural juices yep, comes absolutely. out with it. Yep, yep. So all, it's the, all the flavor and all the goodness is gone. Yep, yep. It's, it's absolutely sacrilege what they do. Yep. To, it, a similar thing happens to a squid. If you if you were to soak a squid, it right. soaks a lot of water, which just does not help the texture mm, either. Mm, mm. And when you go back to your cookery book, another, you know, when you say about stalks, and obviously they're important when it comes to sauces and that, I, I, I often thought what a fantastic match to smoked fish, your your uh, green whole grain mustard sauce it was a, it's an absolute brilliant match to i suppose that's quite classic is it um that's a good question because i don't know if it is to be honest with you and a lot of people do it now um I, just a couple of days ago i had a smoked haddock fish cake with a poached egg and the and that mustard sauce over the top of it and i thought oh that looks that looks familiar um it's something I've been doing for a lot of years, though. But it does; it goes so, especially the whole grain mustard sauce. It goes so well, so well with with smoked fish. And and that that smoked fish could be any smoked fish as well. I mean, you know, I, I tend to use a lot with smoked haddock, but uh, it could be any smoked fish for that matter. You not feel that maybe they're when you say you don't know how they're. A lot of them doing it now. Maybe do you know think that they've done the same as me? They read the book. It's quite possible, I suppose. <laughs> and then got me. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I don't think like that though. You see, but I mean, you go back to the eighties, as you said, you 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 produced it. You had a turmeric soul. On the as a re, one of the recipes, a turmeric sole, and my goodness, that's that's a health food now. That's used <laughs> that's so true. much for <laughs> yeah, for yeah, so many yeah. health issues. Turmeric yeah. is just a wonder product. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It seems so, to be, doesn't it? I, I must say, I didn't have the health benefits in mind when I did it. I know, but it just shows that that's why I say it's not dated the book yeah, is not yeah. dated yeah 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 and yeah. Uh, I haven't obviously taken it to the same extent but I'm sure the game and meat 
book is 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 as good. Well, I know. Tell me, Jim, which 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 book which which fish book have you got? Is it that one? Yeah. Have you got the other one? Yeah. You have right. Yeah. Because there's 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 um there's thirteen years difference between the two, you know. The second one, I actually a feast of fish. That's the first one. Yep, that's the first one. What? That one. That one's the second one. All right. Oh well, it's the first one. Second one I had first. Then. Right. Yeah. Well, that that came out in that came out in two thousand. Well, two thousand one. One of the two. Uh, But where the other one came out in nineteen eighty seven. Okay, okay. Just in so, time. It was very timely then, just for us opening the restaurant. Just, just in time for you, yeah. Especially for you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it available still? Um, not, not. The, the, they've both been out of print for a long time. They've, the first one went out of print um, in 2000, so we could put the second one on the on the shelf. So the first one was in print for about 13 years, um, but they took it off the shelves when the, when the second one came out. Um, unfortunately, the second one never did as well as the first one did, uh, partly because they, because they both because they both got the same name um, and the, the designer, I suppose it must have been, was arty and put two fishtails on to mean Feast of Fish 2 Nobody got that. Oh. <laughs> if he put a two on instead, it would have been a different thing altogether, you know. But everybody thought it was just the same boat with a different different cover on it. Sad, <laughs> yeah, sadly, isn't the case. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for putting you in the spot just now, but I'm going to. Uh, I'm intrigued to know how the mind works, the Macandro mind works. I'm down in Shields. And I get a nice bit of cord. What am I going to do with it? Right, nice, fresh bit of cord. Now? Today? Yeah. This time of the year? Ah, um, what's in the garden? Courgettes. I'd be looking to. Maybe it's a little bit too early for that at the minute. Um, tomatoes are a bit too early. Peas are just coming in, aren't they? Broad beans, maybe. Well, no, I've seen some good broad beans around from the UK. Asparagus is just going out the door at the minute, but it, it's still there's still English asparagus around. Um, the way I'd cook it straight away would be to roast it. I would take it off the bone. I would pan pan roast it. Um, it's a really hot pan, skin side down crisping that up nice and golden um i'd probably what am i going to do pea risotto possibly grilled asparagus with it even just some just some plain asparagus with it would be lovely um i tend to eat very lightly at this time of the year so probably probably something to do with a salad in there somewhere um New potatoes are abundant at the moment, so possibly on a bed of new potatoes with, excuse me, with asparagus. Um, lots of fresh herbs, a nice, a nice, uh, nice buttery sauce with fresh herbs, 
spooned over the top and around it. What if I could ask you a question? You're on Papio, you know, wrapping oh, Papio, yes, yeah, Papio, yeah. That, I, I would imagine, Ian, I've not done it a lot, but I must seal in all the flavors just wrapping it, it inside paper. It does. Um, it'd be difficult for a fish like cod because it's so flaky. Um, it's good for a slightly oilier fish because it'll hold better. And the the, uh, but it I mean it would it would work undoubtedly. But it it's um, I tend to, I tend to use it for um, I tend to use it for things like oilier fish rather than from for something like cod, but it would still work. It still it would still work. I would. I like to um, wrap a fish like cod because of the flakes. And if you wrap it in something, you you and and cook it that way, it'll hold together better. Um, I used to do a lot of. I used to wrap things like cod and haddock in leaves of lettuce or leaves of spinach, and you could steam those. Or you could even unpapillot that. I suppose really. Um, so. Uh, the large leaves of spinach though would need to be your Italian French type spinach as, as opposed to British spinach or um, um, spinach beet, which isn't very good. Uh, and just very, very lightly blanch those, dry them off and then wrap the fish in that. And that will season it and then wrap it. And that holds everything into it as well and holds its holds its shape as well. And, and as I say, you can do the same with, with, with cabbage leaves as well. So you, you know, spring greens, for instance, which are, are abundant at the moment, wrap a piece of fish in that. Works works really well. But when you do it, take take the take the um, central vein out, the big core out, but the, you know the, the 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 central thick central vein of the cabbage leaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what would you do? Just steam it. And you could steam that absolutely. Yep, yep. Or or as you say, do it do it on papio. Okay, okay. Like so back it, to, would, it would it would hold it would hold together well. But I think I think Ian, that's a fantastic thing about the cooking with seafood. Does, everything doesn't work with every species, and uh, as you say, if something is not robust enough, we to do wrapped in paper and papier. You would you would use another species, change the species. Indeed. That's uh, you know absolutely. Yep. That's yep. what I think is a fantastic because I mean going mm. back to your the your one and your recipe, your roast cod recipe, and which is now the second book uh, that that recipe you have with the balsamic Jew. Mm. I can tell mm. you. That is an outstanding dish with Seth. You know, Seth Coley oh, is another. Okay. Yep. It's an outstanding yep. dish because it's it's a robust. It's slightly more robust than cod, and mm -hmm. it'll mm -hmm. it'll hold together. I quite mm -hmm. often do Seth blackened. You know, okay. Cajun yep. Yep. Because well, it, you can talk, talking about Seth. If you go, if you go to. Um, Page sixty-three. There's a photograph there of a of a piece of cod, which is curry, curried and um, curry oil. Yep, that curry oil 
goes so well with any of these fish like this. The ling we were talking about, the seeth you're talking about now, haddock, cod, anything like that. It just goes so well. Try it. <laughs> and it's just your fishing in, in just lightly just your fishing curry curry powder as well and then and then pan roast it. And that really lifts the flavour. I use that a lot and when I'm seasoning my fish it's a curry mm. salt I, I make. Right. Yep. Yep. It, and it gives it gives a lovely colour as well as mm. flavour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice golden colour it leaves you with, doesn't it? Yeah, that looks a stunning dish, that one. Yeah. It's a cracking piece of cod as well, mate. Look at how thick it is. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, there's so many. I mean, John, you mentioned John Dory, Gernard, you know. Uh, yeah. I, John Dory has to be one of the, one of my most favourite fish. It's, it's, it's quite an expensive one these days, I suppose, but it's... Um, I, I just love John Dory and and talking about unusual ingredients and what what you pair things with the recipe in the book for uh, John Dory with vanilla. Yeah, works just so well, and it's not two things you would you would automatically think think go together, but it does. No, work that's very well. that's what I'm that's why I'm trying to get into the Macandro mind because <laughs> the, the other thing I noticed, which is a real brave uh, dish. I can't remember the place or that maybe, and you've done it with a lobster bisque. Mm-hmm. That's um, interesting. I'm trying to which 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 book was that in? There we go. There. Funny enough, I just opened the book and there it is. <laughs> I love uh, lobster and vegetable bisque. You know. It, this comes back. This comes back to what I was saying earlier on. If you're going to kill something to eat it, use everything, and that's where the bisque comes in, isn't it? You know, you've got to. You've, you've, so many people don't use the shells and other bones from from these from these creatures, and it is such a waste not to. The flavour you get out of bisque, the flavour you get out of a few crab shells or a few lobster shells or a few longestin shells, uh, it's. Just phenomenal, isn't it? If you, if you, if you, whatever you do, don't throw it away. Use it. No, it's so. I, I actually feel that's the same with a fillet, a fish if it's filleted. Yes, use the bones as well, but also every part of the fish. When I, when I've been in kitchens and seen some chefs put portions and and I'm just just shaking my head, I close my eyes and in, in despair at, at how much is thrown away because because they want every portion to be identical. Exactly the same. Yep, yep. So the trimming wild, them in. It's a wild yep. product. It can't be. Yep. So, you, yeah, you're trimming the ends off and making them square or whatever shape it might be. And, and as you say, they're making the same length, the same shape. And, it's and yeah, what do you do with those bits? Nine times out of ten, they aren't going in the bin. Because if they're going to be doing that, then they're not thinking about the bits they're going to, they're going to have left over, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting, Ian. I, I, we've made so many references and 
refer to pages. I just hope it is available. <laughs> well, <laughs> our, uh, reader, our <laughs> listeners. The good thing is, you can if if you look on Amazon or eBay, somebody out there is selling them. That's for sure. But there's also there's a website, um, uh, Cookbook UK. Oh, I need to find that. I, it may be something I need to pass on to you separately, Jim. But uh, my book is certainly available there in electronic form. Okay. Um, no and, okay. and, and a lot of and a lot of other books are too, but uh, certainly mine is available there, um, as I say, in electronic form. But they, certainly, they, they they can be for sale because you know there are people out there that do have stocks for stocks of them or are selling their own books or whatever. You may end up picking up a new one. You may end up picking a second-hand one, but uh, they are out there. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And uh, is it in ebook format? Um, on um, yes, it is. And on on this uh, cookery book website, yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. But hopefully, you'll still be getting revenue from that. Yes, I do. Actually, funny enough, not a lot, but yeah. I do get a little bit. Absolutely, oh, it's, only it. it's only you the one. It's only the one that's in that. Well, thank you, but. Uh, I would like a bit more. <laughs> I'm going to have to publish a new one. I'll, I'll well, reprint well, one or something like that. Hopefully, hopefully this is going to help <laughs> our listeners start looking for it. Hopefully, it'll be more. So, yes. and it yeah, absolutely deserves it because I don't take anything back from what I said. That is the best. It'll, it'll be lovely to, to have a publisher knocking on me deal saying, hey, there's been a run on your books all of a sudden. Well, <laughs> you fancy doing another one? one. <laughs> you know, when we talk about the, the different agencies involved with the fishing industry and supposedly marketing, I, I would say Ian McAndrews, Feast of Fish, has done more for the British fishermen than, than any of the things that any of that agencies do. I honestly believe that. As I say, it's nice of you to say so, Jim, and I, and I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, on my books, the first one, the, the, the one that you thought was number two, but was actually number one, was more was written more for the trade than it was for the housewife, I think. But book number two was written more for the housewife than it was for the trade. So the, the blue back, the blue back one, the blue cover one, um, I think is a much more accessible book, if you like, for for those that are coming to the coming to a to a fish cookery book um, new. Then that might be the one for them. Yeah, you see, there's a lot of you know the in families. There's a lot of husbands cook now as well as uh, mm. it's not just the it's not just the housewife. That does all the cooking any longer? Yes, I shouldn't have said I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said housewife because house husbands do the same. <laughs> and there's as many men cook nowadays, I think, than there are women. You know, one of the funny things I I find I've spoken to chefs and fishermen, skippers, about just just in the conversation about uh, cooking. And they'll tell me how the, 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 the skipper will tell me when he's been ashore for a trip and maybe the mate or somebody's got the boat at sea and he tries his hand at cooking and he sees this really complex dish 
any any on on Master Chef or Great British Menu or I don't know some of the cookery uh, uh, chef programs on television. There's plenty now, and uh, they'll be seeing dishes that they've some chef has made, and they'll be trying to emulate it. And uh, when I speak to the same in the same vein, and I speak to a chef, and a chef will be saying, "Just keep it simple." <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, Absolutely. The, the opposite. The, the the chef who could do the who could easily accomplish the complex dish, he's in. No, just keep it simple. No more than three elements on the plate, and yet the, first, the skipper, who's not so he, he qualified on the cooking, he can't make it complicated yep, enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's the secret of most food, isn't it? Just keep it simple. Let the let the ingredients uh, shine through, and that's and, that's and that's that's a skill in itself, anyway. And the food talk, do the talking. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's no point in trying yeah. to complicate something. It's it, yeah. You're wasting your own time, and you and you 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 detracting from the the product you you trying to you're trying to show off. Yeah, you're trying to enjoy but, for sure. But as going back to your book, Ian, all this newer species out of the deep water. Do you know the or some of our bigger boats are now fishing deeper water and catching species that they never caught before and things like that. We've really, you know, that your book there, you can cook, you can cook any of the dishes, not any of them, but you could easily find a dish in your book printed in 2000. We're now in 2022. Take a species off the market in 22 and you'll find a dish in yep, your book. Yep, it would be fantastic, yep, wouldn't yep. it? So it's not dated. Yeah. And it, it's getting that. It's getting. It's getting the knowledge of that fish out there, isn't it? And 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 getting people to understand. And you wouldn't have thought, as as I said before, we're an island nation. You wouldn't have thought it would be that difficult for people to understand fish and how to use it, how to cook it, and 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 get more enjoyment out of out of a, a good quality filled of fish than you than you would out of a out of a a steak or whatever it might be, a lamb chop or a pork cutlet or whatever it might be. But we, yeah, that understanding must have been there at one stage, for, uh, but, has, but has withered on the vine in the last 20, 30, 40 years, I suppose. We, the only way people in this country seem to understand fish is if it's covered in batter and served with lumps of deep fried potato. And it just doesn't. I mean, I you know, like anybody else, I like fish and chips. Great, had some great fish and chips just last week. But that's only one dish, isn't it? And it's nine times out of ten, just one species as well. Why we don't understand fish and why more of it isn't available and why we don't eat more defeats me. But it it has to be down to marketing. I can't see any other way. No, I tried. I know that in, our, in the, our, my restaurant just now, uh, the main species on the or the species on the main courses are blueling, 
it's it's what our boats are landing, blueling, grenadier, redfish, you know, things like that, and nothing is left. And more than since I since our boat started fishing there and getting it, there's more and more of the customers are asking to speak to me before the order because they've never heard of the species. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a step forward, uh, isn't it? I, 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 it, shows, it shows that there is a market there. And uh, as you said, you know, I do believe there's a, it needs to be tapped. I'm not saying I have the answers, but uh, it's, I can certainly see there's a, you know, we, we, we're never, it's, we're, we're not throwing it in the bin. We're, it's all about education, isn't it? Education, yeah. education, education. And if people don't know about it, they're not going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. There's down, a bit of a fear factor. We'll need to get you. Yeah. We'll need to get you. We'll need to get the Macandra touch into, <laughs> into the housewife more. <laughs> it might be too late for that, though, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Never too late. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these pretty young boys, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, 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 we're not needing them. We're not needing them. No, 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 no. I think maybe, I think we have the vehicle to get the market in there with uh, what you're saying there with the electronic versions of Feast of Fish because... Uh, I couldn't recommend it high enough, and never mind the species. Just, just the species that you have. Pick the dish and the species that you have at to hand. So, well, you know, if we were to wind up, I would like to just say thanks, and I'm just so pleased to have had the chance to speak to you and get into your mind how it it takes. And uh, what a fantastic job you've made, you've done, as far as in my mind, for the British fishermen. Well, and if I can, if I can be of any help, then let me know because I'd love to see fish become a, a much bigger part of all our lives than it is at the moment. Well, certainly will be on my. You'll certainly be uh, anything I have to do. With, I'll be taking it forward and mentioning you and uh, and that so thank you for that Ian and thank you for today it's so much appreciated my so, pleasure my pleasure okay yep thank you Jim thank you for listening to seafood matters podcast you can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts you can join me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast. If you have any questions or episode suggestions, please email me at jim at seafoodmatterspodcast.com or get in touch through my website, seafoodmatterspodcast.com. <laughs>